Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the cast of Call, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet. It's the one and only DJ. DJ, wow. DJ, DJ, <laughs> DJ, DJ. <laughs> uh, so to, to, just to reach out to everyone who has yeah. contacted us kindly and sweetly yeah. and in the Facebook posts and so on. We are assuredly not dead. Um, yeah. Both of us have had uh, a few funerals to attend that were yeah. pretty rough. Um, yeah. So if you're wondering where we disappeared to, uh, just know that we're okay. Uh, no, None of our immediate family well. is... Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. Actually, technically, yes. Yes, okay, never mind. Um, uh, so we're doing okay. Um, I, yeah. that, that's as deep as we need to go on that. But yeah. we missed all of you. We've missed talking to each other. And yeah. on top of that, if we've been on a few adventures together since yeah. the last time we've been on the podcast. We sure have. So, you know, like, uh, we're, we're not just idle. We're creating other things as well. So um, with that in mind, Rachel, do you have anything to add to that before no. we move on? I mean, I just want to thank everybody that was so sweet and reached out and were like, we hope the show's not dead. And I was like, I promise it's not. But like you said, like life got really, really crazy for both of us. We lost family members. We I moved like like everything stressful that can happen all happened at one point and it was kind of like something had to give and sadly it was not forever, but like the podcast kind of had to take an unplanned pause. But knock on wood, life has settled down. <laughs> We are back. We're excited to get back into Midworld and get back to talking about Roland and all of his weird, un uncomfortable sexual innuendos and all of that good stuff. So thank you to everybody for sticking with us. And thank you to everybody who reached out and was concerned. Um, really appreciate you all and are really excited to get back into this with all of you again and with you Deej yeah, I yeah. miss this I mean fortunately I have supplemented my lack of recording with you like like you said with real world adventures <laughs> we've been to multiple states we've yep. done all kinds of crazy things in the last few months but maybe we'll talk a little bit about that in the extended episode <laughs> yeah adventure time excellent yeah. right Yes, um, exactly. <laughs> so, do we want to jump right in to where we left off, or yeah. do you want to? You know, I'm so rusty at this. It's been like months. I think are we supposed to start with a warning about spoilers or something? Well, like that? first of all, the plan for this episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, we're gonna kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about Wolves of the Kala Part Three, the Wolves Chapter One Secrets. So that's right. We are in. I think this is the back third of the book like we've yeah. got to be heading into the big stuff now i think adventures will get here eventually although not in this <laughs> chapter well i've heard rumors that maybe the next episode or next chapter is a little more action-packed but we'll get there when we get there we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> but as you said we do have a spoiler policy on this podcast in case people for some reason have dipped in here it's a weird place to start but you never know you don't know i don't know other people's journey um, I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to talk nerd stuff. So remind our listeners and tell new listeners how we handle spoilers on the cast of call. Listen, guys, uh, I will throw that plate a little high, <laughs> cut the top of that radish off and uh, let you know when we're going to drop some radish to the ground for a spoiler zone alert. Yes, very good. You still got it, Deej. It's been a minute, I mean, but you still I, got it. It could have been pea size, but instead it's radish size. <laughs> that just reminds me of the bonus episode we did once where you described your nipples and you meant to say pea and you said green bean. <laughs> and we were all like, 
Ew. <laughs> and you're like, no, pee, pee, pee. Oh, no. They don't swing long. They don't swing long, I promise. The regular size. The regular size. Um, All right. Okay, Where so did we last leave off? Last we got a lot of backstory that was covered before yeah. we, we jumped out. So I'm not going to dive super deep into all of it. I right. will say that we got the end of the story from Colin about yes. you know the vampires mm-hmm. and the sub vampires mm-hmm. and him jumping out of the window. Yep. We basically had the reveal with the group about um, uh, the baby situation and that everybody had kind of known it, but like had all been sort of like hiding it from each other while mm-hmm. they all separately sort of knew. Um, and then we kind of had one other reveal, which was. That little bit where um, Jake sees uh, his friend's dad with Andy, and that is like revisited here in this chapter as well. But like that was like a wait, what's going on <laughs> situation? Mm-hmm. And then you know, on top of that, we have the whole wolves come in in like ten days, nine days, something like that, yeah. and all of the other cards that have been stacked up with the town the ladies throwing plates, all that stuff. So we're really like been building a pretty solid story pushing forward to where we're at right now. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. so where we, where we start off <laughs> is, is back to the urine situation. Like the opening scene is literally just uh, Roland trying to pee and then like noting that that was a weird spot for Jesus to be in the porta potty. And, yes. and then... Then immediately thinking about his girlfriend's back being there using the restroom and like that breaks the log jam and he's able <laughs> to urinate. So, you know, that that one caught me off guard because like Stephen King doesn't usually spend much time with their bodily fluids. But this one, like, I don't know if you've ever used an outhouse in like a cold morning in the forest, but like it's it's steamy oh my when God. you pee. What? Yeah, because uh, it's cold oh, enough that I like that makes it's sense. sort of like breathing yeah. outside. You, you know, you have like yeah. the and so like the description and the and the mental image I had in my head was just like yeah. <laughs> steamy pee going into this girl. Yeah, I lived in a trailer park when I was like right out of high school, and it was not a very nice one. It was a and the trailer was not a very nice one. It was not well insulated, and I remember one time I went. In the, to go pee in the morning and there was a like layer of ice on the top of the water that I had to like pee on. <laughs> that's that's like uh, down to the danger of like your pipes actually freezing. And, yeah. Like, I had a little space heater that I kept in my room and it, my roommate would be freezing and he would open the door and he said he would see heat waves coming out of my <laughs> room and he'd be like, God damn it. Like, why do you got to keep your room door jam warp and hot? I was like, because it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> he was so mad because he paid the electric bill. <laughs> oh, man. That's it. Yeah. Uh, anyway. All anyway. right. So uh, getting back to the subject at hand. So we get the scene of him peeing. He, he pops out of the bathroom and like, uh-huh. boom, he runs into uh, Colin, who's like, wants to chat with him a little bit. And we get this backstory of apparently um, he goes around and and rides with the farmers and talks to them about, you know, Jesus, basically. Right. And so it's sort of this like traveling priest situation for when the farmers and the ranchers are working and can't make it into town, I guess, to to go to church. Um, So him and 
um, shoot, what's her name? I've already forgotten. Is it a Rosalita? Uh, Rosalita, um, basically ride around in this cart. And so they, Roland, like, kind of asks if he can tag along and blather with some of these folks. And uh, Callahan refers to it as, um, as, uh, shoot, what? He said, like, it's a Yiddish term, I think. And schmoozing. When, schmoozing, yes, yes. And, like, Roland is asked if that's popular, and, like, he kind of, like, laughs and says, well, it didn't work out too well for them. So, And I'm not 100% sure I understand that reference, so uh, yeah. I, I thought I would ask. I feel like there might be some blending that's happening right now. So, like, Uh-oh. Roland is going to go into town and, like, kind of start talking to people in the lead-up to finally asking the third question, and... That is what Callahan refers to as schmoozing, but in uh, okay, there okay. they call it Kamala because yeah, and that's word for everything. Is this where we drop into the everything for Kamala? The word? Not yet. Okay. So yeah. let's pause for a second because there's some important stuff I think right here at the beginning, starting with the outhouse, of course. Which ironically, the thing along with the Jesus painting in there is some flowers called Saucy Susan. What? What are a Saucy Susan? There's some sort of midworld flower that okay. apparently has a citrusy smell based on, on on the description in the book. But I think that there is kind of something happening here around Roland and his shame and his vulnerability and being in this bathroom where it's vulnerable, where he like can't he like thinks about how he's glad that the the painting of Jesus is facing away from him because he wouldn't be able to pee if he had to look into his eyes. And, you know, I think that He's just fresh come off. It's like the morning after they finally reveal that they've been keeping all these secrets. And like he's in this place of contemplation about, you know, if he was actually being honest about the way that he was approaching Ka. And I think he's having a lot of guilt about the way that he handled it. And um, and the fact that only Susan was brave enough out of all of them to tell the truth about what was happening. And so there is kind of this idea around guilt and shame. Um, well, there that- is a moment where he's like, um, he's ashamed that he got up so late and yeah. like that yes. he was uh, was having trouble telling time based on the sun position yeah. and that it would actually embarrass his original instructor court. If yeah. any of his students had this much important stuff going on in their lives and they were getting up, you know, past sunrise to go mm-hmm. do stuff. Right. It's all of these people who kind of like pass judgment on him and he's feeling these sort of like he's not necessarily looking at it holistically and seeing how all of these things link together, but they're all people who would pass judgment and who he feels shame. So when he runs into Callahan and Callahan is like talking about how he goes around town having people do confession um, and Callahan's like, you know, like, you can tell me about this, but like, don't think it's absolution. And Roland's response is essentially like he doesn't actually a want his forgiveness, but B think that the man could give it to him. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's interesting because like we know that Roland moves through the world with a lot of guilt about the choices that he's made and the choices that he knows that he either will make or is capable of making. But he doesn't want absolution and i don't know if that's so much that he thinks that he can be absolved or that he deserves it or simply just that he doesn't think callahan is not someone who can give it to him but it's just it's just interesting that he's in this place of like a lot of shame and contemplation and then when approached by a priest he's like (laughs) it never even occurred to me 
that you would try to absolve me of these things or that I would get absolution for these things. I think things. that one, though, is like kind of the fact that Roland doesn't really know much about Catholicism yeah. or the religion as a whole. And we right. see this in a in a later blunder that we'll yeah. get to. But like um, he does when the guy's like, yeah, absolve you. And we save that for the Catholics, you know, it's yeah. like, well, like Roland doesn't really get the joke. And then it's right. just like more like practical matter. Like, who is this guy to absolve right. me of anything? Like, pff, whatever, right. you know, uh, but like. But he's not seeking absolution like it. And when he hears that, that's something that the priest does. His response is not to be like, I want this. Like, he's just going to sit with the shame and guilt. Like, it doesn't it doesn't occur to him that releasing those things and getting forgiveness or forgiving himself is even an option. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's get into that next bit then. Um, yeah. So. Roland basically uh, lays it out on the table. He explains yeah. about uh, Susanna, Odetta, and Detta, and like her schizophrenia. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think, what was the description? Um, you can burn a wart off, but it'll grow back. You can cover it with silver paint, but it'll yeah. reoccur. Which I just like, the missing diagnosis is driving me crazy. <laughs> It's silver like okay, so I know that's a medical thing. I'm not really a, a super specialist medical guy. Is, yeah. is silver paint was that like an old timey like uh wise tale, like you know, frogs I mean, give you warts sort of thing? Or is it because it sounded like it actually burned, so like I was wondering if it was like a silver nitrate that they put on there. Uh because hmm. th they used to seal wounds with like a uh chemical powder that would like burn and seal the wounds so that the bleeding would stop, question mark. Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, it just sounded to me like some sort of treatment that they did here in this world. But I like that there is sort of a real world analogy to it. That's mm -hmm. interesting. So he, he talks about uh, Susanna and then um, and then he's like, you know, the pregnancy, the devil baby. <laughs> and like um, and Callahan, like he's like he basically asks if Rosalito knows a way to like, you know, basically uh in the baby's life early before it's born. And like Callahan is like, what? You know, he's pissed. He's like, I yeah. can't believe you would even ask that. And like Roland's like dumbfounded. He's like, what are you talking about, man? Like, this is like a, you know, a thing that happens sometimes. Like, right. Just practical. Yeah. yeah. It's just practical matter. And like Callahan is so confused and then realizes that like Roland doesn't have any, the slightest clue about like the tenets of mm -hmm. their specific religion. And and so he explains that like you know this is a a dire thing for uh, Catholics and like she could never help him perform an abortion and like in fact like it's a horrible idea to even think about like mm -hmm. Susanna can't get one um, you know even if Detta tries to stop her like you know or uh, Detta tries to stop Susanna Susanna's strong will but like you got to prevent it anyway. And like, if you don't, the and I'll turn the entire town against you. Yeah. And like, gets pretty threatening. And like Roland absorbs this. And there's this moment in this scene where he kind of thinks about something his dad told him. And mm -hmm. it was like, it was like, uh, you know, you can still save this situation if you stop now, but if you move forward too much further, like it's all lost. Mm -hmm. And so Roland realizes that if he pushes on this particular uh, train of thought and action, that it's, it's not going to make anything better. And it'll probably, in fact, it just like ruin everything. So he kind of backs away, but then as part of that, he's like casually mentions, he's like, well, <laughs> you know, I will not tell Eddie. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, why? He's like, because Eddie would kill you. 
<laughs> he sure would. <laughs> and like, and Call Anne's like, oh shit, you know, like finally realize, and like the the conversation has a bunch of little um, quirks in it, and like Roland points them out as we're going through it. One of them is that as soon as he's like, uh, um, Susanna, 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 and then it comes to the abortion, like she, her. <laughs> You know, it mm-hmm. like they basically the woman. Yeah, mm-hmm. woman, take the name away from the person. Yeah. And like turn it into more of a noun than a person so that it's easier for them to propagate mm-hmm. uh, this sort of uh religious bias. And then Roland like kind of feels that and is like, all right, man. Yeah. It's like uh here's the ticks to watch for. Um, I don't care a crap about your Jesus, but uh, this baby could murder you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so could um, you know, Detta. Uh, and if that happens, like, uh, anything happens to Rosalita, and you make it out, um, you're dead, man. <laughs> I'm, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna pay to my good hand, and like, the whole time this threatening is happening, you can almost feel Callahan like, I really like this guy. I should try and figure out how to like get back on his good side even though like this is a thing that i've i've basically put a a bump in the road for him and even at the last like he apologizes that the situation is the way it is but he can't can't uh lose faith in his religion so it's sort of this like stronger than ever church scenario that you didn't have with him in previous settings when he was telling his own story and now like he really is bringing that back to like that's how he lives his life Mm-hmm. I don't know if like uh, if that's the takeaway you got from it, but I figured I would ask. Because There's it- a lot happening in this section. Like, I think that you are on to like his he's sort of the proxy for King when he's talking about this like this is i feel like there's a lot of king talking about his stance on abortion and and the pro-life like hypocrisies and Mm pro-life like the fact that uh you know save 100 kids and a demon baby would (laughs) or you can have a demon baby that's programmed to eat the mom when it's born right like that the as someone who the minute she's pregnant she stops being a full human she's just the woman she loses her identity she is essentially a incubator for a demon baby even a demon baby has more value and more her the life of a demon baby has more value than the woman carrying it mm-hmm. um the fact that callahan himself is a murderer who's killed hundreds of vampires potentially who are essentially demons but because they're not in utero like their life has less value than the, an unborn child like all of those sort of hypocrisies feel like very commented on here mm-hmm. um by king um i also think it's interesting because like it, roland has this thing where he's like you know i'm thinking about Ka. i don't really think about it which we i think can all agree is bullshit but like how he you know he needs to just like let it take its course mm-hmm. and callahan kind of has his own sort of call that he's feeling following here but in his case it's like his religious faith right like he knows that this child is likely a demon it the first thing it might do is kill its mother and he's like no no no. we have to just let it run its course whatever god wills it wills like you could easily just swap the language out for ka in that situation so it's kind of an interesting sort of dialogue with roland realizing that He's been meddling with Ka and he needs to just like let it do its thing. And and Callahan is doing the same thing. Whereas like when he would his his faith failed back in Salem's lot, 
all of the things that followed as a result of that. Like he is very much following his own car here and like feels the stakes of that in the same way that Roland is. It's just packaged a little differently. It's kind of an interesting sort of dialogue between those two ideas. Hmm. Um, There's also that little bit about um, <laughs> did your Jesus or, you know, did your Jesus man have a wife? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think he's also making some commentary on what like Stephen King is making commentary on the like sexism and misogyny of the, ca- the aspects of the Catholic faith. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, this uh, King is not holding back in this section, and it is a little bit cathartic and satisfying to hear him do it. Um, but there's also some character beats in here I want to touch on just okay. that, like... And let's not forget to talk about the uh, the six request people either. Yes, I feel like that's important as well. But really quickly, the the first thing that, that Callahan asks him about is, like, what he's most afraid of. And Roland's response is essentially, it's not necessarily the people it's not the lives of the people in his quartet so much as it is the quartet staying together mm-hmm. you know what i mean and there is a little bit of judgment on callahan's side where he's just like do they know what kind of person you are and roland's like yeah they do but i think it all again ties back into this situation where he's kind of like dealing with personal shame and accountability and not feeling like he's in a place where he is deserving of absolution. Like all of these things feel very linked together for me. I think the example was uh, that if Odetta, you know, ran off to have the baby, it still might be okay as long as Susanna came back, mm-hmm. um, which is like kind of dark in that, yeah. like, you know, I guess I'm okay with this like demon spawn roaming the earth as long as like my my group gets back together in the end and so yeah you're right that is that is kind of dark it's real bleak um i do think callahan does say something important here too is and i think that this has implications moving forward where roland is assuming that mia is just another altar inside uh susanna's head Mm -hmm. but he's like no no no. i think this is something different i think mia is mia and um, and I think so the way that we would you, you can't integrate her personality in and heal Susanna in the same way mm-hmm. if this is a different sort of like maybe like a demonic possession or separate entity that's somehow inside her. Mm. All right. Let's talk about the six people. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, Roland, like we're, we're we've been getting kind of hints that Roland has a full full fledged plan. Mm-hmm. or the wolves but like nothing has been solidified really like we're, we've kind of been like dancing around the edges and this is another bit where we get like kind of a view into something that might be going on but we don't quite get enough to understand what he has in mind but he asks callahan for six people and you know uh he, he basically says like the plate throwing women are off limits like obviously yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Callahan's like, well, you take couples? And he's like, yeah, sure. So he names a couple of people, uh, you know, one that lost their kid um, and who definitely, you know, never – or lost their sister, excuse me, and it would never, like, want the wolves to have any success, so they would definitely be a good choice. And he thumbs through a few others, and he gets to, uh, you know, um, uh, Jake, and it's like, well, he's like – Callahan in his head is like, you can't – can't live without him or you just got to keep him around so much. And like, when you hear that, like I wanted to ask you about this because I'm not sure I got the gist of that. Like, is that part of the looping back to keeping the group together 
and the quartet, or is that something else going on when he, when he mentions that and then like thinks about it in his head? I mean, I think it's like, I don't know that it's about keeping the quartet together. I think King is just, he has decided to tease everything. Like normally he likes to spill everything ahead. Like he mm -hmm. loves the like Hitchcock with the bomb under the table method of writing. But I'm between this and the way that he approaches this next section we're about to get into with oh, Eddie, yeah. he's playing it close to the vest in a way that I am not accustomed to with his writing. Okay. He's teasing things and not get, like giving us little morsels of, of his plan so that we know there's a plan in the works, but we're keeping us in the dark as readers. Okay. Okay. That's how I interpreted it, but I, I'm curious if you have a different interpretation. Oh, I was just, I, so when, when he was, he's going through the things that I thought it was very strange that like Callahan, like kind of in his own head, almost was like calling Roland out for this situation, but then like, not speaking up because he'd already caught us enough grief with the earlier conversation and mm -hmm. the threats of like the town and then, you know, castling Roland in the fact that uh, he's right. the din. So he won't allow it to happen, you know? Um, right. I do it, think it's funny that he like used the exact same technique on Callahan that he did on Jake, where like, you know, Jake managed to kind of get the upper hand in that conversation. Mm -hmm. And then by, by the end of it, he had like, basically made jake responsible for keeping an eye on like spying on Susanna, mm -hmm. and now he's done it again to callahan so callahan has to be the one to keep an eye on her yep and like describing their twitches and stuff so yeah mm -hmm. yeah actually you're mm -hmm. right that's a i didn't think of it that way that's a that's a good point uh -huh. um, huh. uh so yeah we're not sure what he's got planned for these six people uh but when when you think about it from the perspective of um roland and his crew in the old days and now like people got sent off one direction in another direction and like there were like sort of some bait and switch situations going on um i, I almost wonder if like that's it's gonna reflect similarly in that way and i honestly it's been so long since i read this book this is sort of like edge of my seat too i don't actually know for remember right? what's going on Yes, I don't totally remember exactly what's happening, but it is it is kind of fun. I mean, and sometimes I don't love the way that King will start in media res and then circle back because I would rather have a little bit of a surprise. And so I'm having I'm having some fun with this. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and, and move forward if you don't have anything else to add nope. to this bit. Let's get into um, it. So then we got a little short other glimpse where like Eddie basically rolls up and is like, hey, man. I, I didn't get a chance to tell you about, uh, you know, grandpa and in the good old days. And so like, again, we don't get the full thing. Like he like is like, Oh yeah, you won't believe this gray horses. And then like whispers the answer into his ear. And like, then they're like, Oh yeah, gray horses. And then they whisper it again. And like, you don't get the, the thing. And it's like, mother, come on. <laughs> tell me what's <laughs> this is going what on. I'm saying. He's like having so much fun keeping us in the dark on this. Like I, we're so accustomed to being in people's heads and knowing what's going on for it to be like, so shh is definitely a different vibe. So I did want to ask you though, he does mention red Molly and I couldn't remember what the significance was of that off the top of my head. Um, and I was wondering if you had a secret note on this, Rachel. Red Molly. I don't remember this. Yeah, there's a moment where like he's like and when the you know, when the mask came off, I don't think they even knew not even Red Molly. And I was like, who is Red Molly? You know, and like I couldn't remember 
that name specifically. So I was trying to figure out what the heck the reference was. All right. I'm searching because <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So oh, I'm maybe I'm pretend full of, like I did know. Uh, maybe I'm full of crap. Uh, wait, no, you're not. Okay, so Redheaded Molly is in Grandpa's Tale Secrets. Okay, okay. Oh, okay, here we go. Eddie took no offense. He told me to lean close as he did. He said he'd never told anyone but his son, which I believe. Teen and Zalia know he was out there or says he was, but they don't know what he saw when he pulled back the mask on the thing. I don't even think... Okay, I know what this is. Okay, so Red Molly is the name of the person who was there on the same day as him that managed to actually shoot and kill one of the wolves. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Um, it's just been a while. So you forgot her name, but like, that's who, that's who red Molly was. Yes. Okay. Uh, Cause I heard that and I was like, I should know this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but I don't remember what was yeah. red Molly's significance. Yes, this is where we're very glad that I'm able to command F and search. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Rachel, for that rescue. No uh, worries. So there's not much else to say on that other than like apparently uh gray horses is important and yeah. you know uh the name of the the suspect person is uh also important. So um yeah, like I don't know, man. Um so apparently I will, Rachel I will say I think like the one thing that stands out to me is as they repair the quartet, things are coming together. As yeah. they like start opening up to each other, you can see what felt like dire and falling apart coming back together. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like everybody actually teaming up to do their part across the board, you know? Yep. Um with uh, you know, Susanna doing the plates with the ladies, Eddie getting the final story, Jake hanging out at the ranch with the with the suspect family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, and then Roland, like, basically orchestrating and, like, coming up with his secret plan. And, like, the last thing I want to mention about this is, like, there was Stephen King, like, pulls the camera back and, like, the reveal of, like, satisfaction and, like, hope that you get from Roland as he, like, learns this little bit and is yeah. like, oh, yeah, you know, my plan is coming together and, like, this little cherry on top means something. Uh-huh. And there's, like, a... Oh, I'm going to jump around for a minute, Rachel, but uh, I'll come back to the main thread. Um, so jumping a little bit forward, there's a moment where they're talking about uh, having the women throw the plate and that he wants to keep it down to as little as possible and tell, um, you know, just tell the townspeople that these guys are all top notch, spot on throwers. Yeah. And like we had that scene that I alluded to earlier about um, Jake seeing Andy and, um, the uh, uh, the friend's dad, like mm -hmm. in the forest. Yeah. And I want to the reason I want to bring that up is because I almost forgot to talk about it with the six. One of the recommendations was Andy. Right. And like when when Callahan recommends Andy, Roland like instinctively is like, no. Nope. Nope. And like and Callahan's like, well, he'd protect him from wolves. And like Roland's like, what kind? And like yeah. suddenly, like, you know, you get almost both characters sort of like being like you know i never mm -hmm. thought of that i was thinking of the yeah. kind that come out of the forest like yep. never really considered the other one yeah mm. yeah they <laughs> both kind of have a moment of intuition where they're like maybe we don't trust randy or not randy andy <laughs> <laughs> oops <laughs> andy andy <laughs> yes yes uh um so that that's an uh 
kind of an interesting aside. Yeah. And, and so the reason I'm bringing that up and then jumping around a little bit is because to me, that is the sort of cards on the tail table reveal that we know a little bit about Roland's plan. And why I say that is uh, basically that leads me to believe that Roland is trying to keep the townsfolk in the dark about the skill set and the caliber of attack that they have available to him mm-hmm. because he's not sure if there's an inside job s- situation going on, yeah. but like he suspects there might be. And mm-hmm. we get some windows into this a little bit later, but I wanted to make sure and put those two pieces together because <laughs> they uh-huh. kind of stand up, right? Yeah. And that's without going into the spoiler zone. Like I have not covered anything that isn't in this chapter. It's just that those sort of dominoes line up pretty well. Yep. Agree. Absolutely okay. Agree. Um, so moving on, uh, we we kind of get this description of Kamala that I, I it means everything and all kinds of stuff uh and like yeah. it's you know like a, a weak kamala hard kamala you know soft, soft kamala, kamala. <laughs> and like stephen king just goes all over the place like for some reason fork but not spoon or knife you know like uh-huh. um so uh, apparently like this is a pretty common um phrase that is used throughout and like stephen king spends a ton of time saying like you know if you were to like have a dictionary version it would be a bit of rice that comes from this one place in, you know, mid world, but like everybody kind of uses it for everything. And what you end up with is almost like a, a synonym to like reap, harvest, sexual acts, uh, any kind of um, sexual tension, uh, release of said tension and so on all <laughs> floats around this. And uh-huh. it's, <laughs> So that's all I got to say about that. Like there isn't really, I, I don't have a secret uh, burning no, flame just, about it. It's just like, it was kind of interesting. Yeah. It's just some good world building. Like when you think about back in um, uh, wizard and glass, there would just be these sort of like, you know, description of this bucolic town and like, it just kind of puts you in the world, right? Like you have an understanding of how central to the culture uh, um rice and kamala all those things are to the people there so i think it's just it's just a little bit of world building it's it's interesting so this little section we kind of like pop around a little bit there's like little slices of time there's a moment where uh, you kind of get this window with jake and roland and and he's like you know go hang out at the ranch blah 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 and like Mm -hmm. jake's like is there something specific you want me to do and like roland's like no i just got a feeling Right. You know, and the reason I wanted to underline that three times is because this is the same sort of vibe that we got from the Andy thing earlier mm-hmm. and and so on. And so, like, Roland doesn't know why he's feeling this way about these sorts of things. And he doesn't have the touch like Jake does. Um, but but he still has enough of it to like kind of sense what right. is right, regardless of why he knows why that is. And meanwhile, us as the reader has that window into Jake's head of like knowing that he knows about his friend's dad and then and is suspicious. And then also that like he has a friend for the first time. Right. And that's like also a weird situation for him, too, because it's like, you know, you want to protect your friend. And like, what was the last thing you want to do? Like you finally make a friend for the first time and then you want to like get him into trouble or cause harm for their family or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's super complicated for him. So he's encouraging him to go and be with this kid. 
but there's something in him that's sending him there. It's another example of the way Roland is maybe not always putting the psychological needs of his content ahead of his plans. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so they, uh, they basically have been throwing plates this whole time, wandering around and talking to people and like mm-hmm. sort of building up, um, trust with the group. And, uh, Finally, uh, Roland like goes to see what they've got going on, and there's this kind of cute, re- I don't know, maybe not cute reveal, but like fun reveal where like someone has drawn a chalk outline of one of the wolves on the barn, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like it's it, it's not wolf size; it's husband size, right? Which right, kind of made me smile. And then uh, you know you get this sort of offhanded remark from Andy that's like you know. The, the artist, whoever she may be, rendered this well. And it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> she? Like, how, how did you you know about this? Yeah. And then we also a, get yeah. this weird uh, moment, too, where, like, Andy's sort of talking about babies and, like, he has so many nursery rhymes and songs to sing for them. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? Like, yeah. Very specific. And the reason I, I bring that one up is because there's also a moment where – um and this is a little bit later on, but like where Jake describes Andy as probably being the weirdest, you know, yeah. uh, nanny ever. Like either the kid would die immediately or you'd have a bizarro child because he would yeah. get all of these things taken care of for him with no love at all. Just like, yeah. uh, you know, um, clinical <laughs> precision. Yeah. Like wire. What is it? Like a wire monkey. Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's grandma. I don't even like to think about it. But yeah, it's interesting watching sort of everybody starting to kind of side eye Andy. Jake's mistrust of him is growing as well. He's constantly sort of made uncomfortable by things. Watching Andy interact with the children and the babies, but also like things he says to him, like you know, Andy's always telling him that girls have crushes on him and stuff. And he's like, eh. I also, it's really brief. And I think it's just kind of like a little bit of um, time setting in terms of like where we are in the year, but also gives you that little sort of chill because of the reference to it. But at one point we, he, there's something where he's talking to Jake and he tells him that it's, you know, char you reap. Yep. Yep. I, yeah. And you're it's like, like ominous. Yeah. It's just like ominous world, world building and setting. I feel like. Well, and that's why I was kind of alluding earlier back to the, um, uh, you know, Roland's childhood stories because yeah. it's like, uh, yeah. we're getting a lot of like uh, parallels in this buildup here yeah. to that same situation. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a I lot mean, of callbacks in this segment. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, you know, Stephen King, especially in these books, does sort of like. Um, Nope, never mind that spoiler territory. <laughs> well, I think he's good at using like the like creating a language from the shared history we have from earlier things in the book, right? Yes, like, yes, yes. Because there's also we see her throw and we get to see uh like what that scene that brings up for Roland and what it brings up for Jake, like are meaningless outside of the confines of this book, but knowing that Roland is recalls his, his Hawk David and Jake recalls Gasher. It tells you that there's something concerning afoot here. Like she's invigorated by throwing the, the discs, but Roland thinks about this Hawk that he used as a tool and sacrificed um, as we're leading into a battle feels kind of ominous 
knowing mm. that there she literally is carrying a ticking time bomb inside her body feels kind of ominous jake going back to one of his like most traumatic experiences and seeing something kind of like some it triggers something like a dark memory in him watching her throw those things feels kind of ominous and these are all things that king is using our shared knowledge from the books to create that sense of you know uh, concern and suspicion and dread Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so they they get done throwing the plates they're kind of walking back and like Rachel mentioned, uh, they're having a kind of discussion about the plates and like uh, Susanna's like, you know, I love these things. You know, yeah. maybe I'll give up my gun and and, and throw the plates instead. And uh, Roland's like, really? And I forget what analogy she used, um, but it was like, uh, would you would you if you could get pre-rolled cigarettes, would you stop rolling your own? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like. You know, it's a, it was kind of fun because it's like, well, the plates are like this artisanal thing, but like it's so much easier to just use use a gun. Right. But right. it's still like enjoyable to do this artisanal task. And like she yeah. plans on like uh, catching her keep, which uh, if you're not a, a hunting person, that's like a reference to how much you're allotted to to go out and hunt for before oh, okay. they tell you yeah. not to do it anymore. Uh-huh. And so she's like. I pro I'm like, I'm excited to use these plates to get as many as, as will be allowed, you know? Right. And, <laughs> and like, that's pretty, you know, pretty gruesome. And then, like you said, the smile on her face, like reminded Roland of his Hawk and you get this kind of yeah. flashback again. This is the second time we've yeah. gone back to that court era. Yeah. And uh, right. in yeah. And I wonder, and this is another weird one where I just like, thought i'd throw it at you and see what you thought and guys in advance like i never actually tell rachel any of this stuff ahead of time i just kind of live just toss it at her see what happens so uh, when we get this moment um and i'm gonna jump around again just a minute um where jake asks to take the ruger with him Uh uh-huh and we have this other moment where like roland is looking at Susanna and remembering his own childhood are we seeing like parallels to young Roland and Jake at his current state in those situations going forward. And like, I don't know cause I have not read ahead um, if this is the case, but is that kind of the feeling you're getting out of that situation too, or not? Um, no, that I saw parallels between them. I did in the scene with Jake, I did think about his role in the, in the quartet and how he eat, despite being a child is an equal and seen mm-hmm. largely as an equal, um, which I think it, you know, there's it's parallel to the fact that, you know, gunslingers are just different as kids. You know what I mean? And Roland was different as a kid as a result of it. But I, I, I don't know. That's interesting. Let me think more about that and see if I can unpack more there, but I wasn't necessarily drawing parallels personally. Okay. That's one where I think once we get, through the next chapter we Uh can maybe come back and think about that one a little bit more right or i'll forget you know and then like we'll just never talk about it again (laughs) someone out there will be like wait a minute they said they were gonna discuss this they let that thread drop my friend (laughs) there's a lot of drop threads (laughs) (laughs) um so we get this kind of moment too where like roland knows that the town kind of knows and this is what i was alluding to earlier but like still wants to keep these practices sort of under his hat um, like he knows that there's no way he, like he early on, he'd threaten some old men if they talked about it, that, you know, that would be the last they talked about anything. Um, but Roland's realizing that like, you know, his farming community, regardless of anybody seeing how they're doing, like there's still going to be some conversations about it. 
And like he turns to Susanna and he's like, you know, how's everybody doing? And at first she gives him like a full rundown to where everybody's at. And then he kind of like reiterates like how how you think they're doing. And she's like, every one of them's throwing perfect. You know, they're like Mm -hmm. the best they can be. And like you start to realize that that also means that basically um, her thought pattern is on the same path as Roland's with like, yeah, we got to keep this under wraps and we want to sell these folks as being the best warriors we've got. Mm-hmm. And like, that was where, again, like when I mentioned that we have dominoes being set up, he's asking for six different people to send in another direction. So, you know, if the wolves think that the, the most powerful group of fighters is coming in one way, they're going to want to like get them, but then secretly you got another group going another way. I don't know. Regardless, that's where my brain went to right away. Um, And then we have this moment again with uh, with with Jake and like Andy basically tells him like there's girls that are interested in him. Yeah. In town. And like Jake's a little embarrassed. And then Jake starts sort of like reading the imprinted words from uh, Northwest Positronics on his chest and on his nameplate and like thinking about that moment with like how Andy would handle kids. And then like his mind goes right back to that moment where he saw him in the woods and like, um, his friend's dad walking the opposite direction after having a conversation with Andy. And like, that's pretty suspicious. Yeah, that's very suspicious. But we also are still kind of like not sharing because Jake hasn't, taking the time to tell Roland, you know, yeah. what's going on. And if Roland had that extra piece of the puzzle, it might well be something that he would consider in his game plan. Now yeah. you got a lot of stars on here. So before I continue jumping forward, um, did we want to talk about the glasses and then any uh, other thoughts? Cause I think the glasses are another key giveaway. Um, yeah, they're definitely I hadn't really thought about them until this this specific thing. I mean, obviously, Jake is spending a lot of time talking about it, bringing the attention to it. But you're right. Like he is the only one that has these glasses that feels sus. And I, I do. I, I love actually loved the way King laid this out. Mm-hmm. It's just like it feels like I don't know. I got a little thrill from it where he's just like he tells the story and he's like, it's a great story. And I think. You know, Susanna everybody would have believe believed it. it. Roland would believe it. Even Eddie would have believed it. There's only one problem. It's a lie. And then like it, the only reason that he knows that is because of the touch. Right. Like mm-hmm. He he can un- he knows that he has there's something going on there. And it just feels the way, when it's laid out that way, it feels really sinister and really mysterious and really draws you into the mystery in a way that I thought was super compelling and a really cool way of kind of addressing it and pointing out the oddness of the fact that he has these glasses. And then you're like, yeah, what is he doing with these glasses in this world? Nobody else has them. We're on the edge of the world. Like why, why is he the only one with a pair of glasses? It all feels really suspicious in a way that I thought was really well done. Um, And I do kind of like this dynamic with Roland and, uh jake where he's like you know he he asks for the gun and then when roland kind of pushes him to know why he's like you know are you asking as my den um because yeah and that's the thing he's like he would tell him if he roland really pushed but roland doesn't doesn't push right 
and, he, and Roland doesn't push because Eddie and Susanna are there watching, which I think is an interesting dynamic. Well, yeah, but I also like you also got the vibe that like Roland actually didn't even care that Jake was going to take the gun. But right. Jake had been so concerned about explaining away why he was going to take the gun uh-huh. that he even had a plan to be like, I promise I'm not just taking it to go show it to the kid, you know? Like, right. Yeah. And like that, that moment there is like a sort of a reveal that like, wait a minute, Jake isn't an adult yet. Right. <laughs> and he's like thinking about like what a kid would do if he got a gun and is like, oh, go show my buddy. Right. Which I mean, I think that that's like a valid concern that maybe they, they would have. Um, so it's interesting that he headed it off in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I think it shows an emotional maturity, right? Like yeah. right there in that his ability to be like, OK, this is what you might think it is. It almost validates their decision to let him take the gun and go. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, we don't have a real, real reason from Roland why uh, he's having Jake spend so much time with Benny and those guys. But like, uh, you know that like he feels like that's the right move, whether he knows what's going on or not. And like trust that Jake will probably hopefully make the right choices there. And like Jake's like preparing to arm himself because, you know, that guy is a liar. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, so then we cut back to like basically the the ladies uh, practicing and throwing again. Um, this time they're kind of competing and they're kind of looking for a yay or nay from Roland. And Roland actually asks Susanna to kind of like lay back and let the ladies assert a win out of the group. Mm -hmm. um so even though they're not all throwing perfectly and they have some faults um throwing a little bit high or a little bit low or like missing it at you know at 90 yards but still hitting it at 60 yards there's a couple of women that are afraid that they're going to get turned out of the group and roland's like no no you're good we need all the help we can get right and it's sort of this touching moment where it's like he's like no no you throw perfectly, you know, like we'll train you a little bit more. And even if you're not up to this particular task, I probably got some special other task for you to do. And like that sort of tells you again that like Roland's got three or four different prongs coming out yeah. as an approach. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the the part with the radish, like I'm not sure I quite understood the peas portion, but like, was that to say that like, instead of putting a radish on the head to hit, it could have been like a pea to try. Right. Yeah. Like an even smaller target for them to throw at. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. it also is kind of cute too, because, uh, the, the lady in question that wasn't thrown as good, like was almost heartbroken and like even curses and call and is like, I like that. Yeah. Kind of smirks (laughs) and is like, I didn't hear nothing. Yep, he plays deaf. I think that's a cute, it's a good moment for Callahan. And honestly, after what just went down, he needs it for me to like, (laughs) we need to do some repair on that character after him being like, you know, no, she must carry her demon baby that she was sexually assaulted um, uh, for its inception. She must carry it to term against her, like all of that. Does mm. not ingratiate me to Callahan, so it's nice that he's uh, showing some something. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and then we get this one last moment with uh, 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 Roland and Rosalita, where he's like, 
you know, uh, maybe as your prize for for winning, there's a um, a long neck goose in your future. Oh God! <laughs> like, Nobody is worse at sexy talk than freaking Roland DeShane. My God, it's so uncomfortable. And Worst like, dad like, uh, I, I, You got to find your presence where you can get him at our age. <laughs> no, no, no! <laughs> it's like accidentally hearing your grandparents yes. uh, talk sexy. Yes, yes, one hundred percent. It's so uncomfortable every time. <laughs> <laughs> there is one scene, and I'm not sure if I remember where it's at, um, but where they're like, um, "What's his name?" is like, "I need to talk to Roland before I go to the bar and to Tooks to to drink or whatever." And he goes oh, out to yeah. the front and like, I don't really remember exactly where this fits in the st- story guys. So I apologize in advance, but basically the gist of this is that like, um, you know, uh, what's your name left the, the Manny to marry him. And yeah. like now as a result, since she's going to be part of the plate throwing group, um, he needs to get on board with it. And he mm-hmm. has, and like Roland, like sort of chastises him a little bit. That's like, you know, you uh, she gave up so much to be with you. And like yep. this is a guy who just a minute before that said, like, you know, uh, I'm in charge of everything except for when it comes to kids. Yep. yep. <laughs> like that's such a yeah. While we're passing around the male chauvinist stuff. Like, yeah. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. And that lands pretty hard. And then mm-hmm. uh, he's like, you know, if anything happens to her. When you leave uh, this place, you know, my curse will follow you. Yeah. And like the the fun part is the casual nature as of with with which Roland accepts that he's like, yeah, you know, uh, this wouldn't be the first curse that followed me. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think to some degree he he accepts that he's like basically trotting out some of these people to die. But it is in Roland fashion, like the sacrifice must be made for the greater good, which is ultimately for this town to save mm-hmm. them from the, from the wolves. But also, you know, it carries on and it's true with every, the way he approaches everything and his goal to get that freaking tower. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of tower. Yeah. Um, so what we come to find out next, like we've already talked about Jake and the, the bring the Ruger to a friend's house day. Yes. Um, so Eddie's like, you know, I got something too, man. I, I want to go to New York and not just toe dash. I want to go legit to New York. Yeah. And like, well, uh, Roland basically let Jake slip is not, um, is not having to spill the full beans. Like Roland's like, no, no, no. As you're done, you're going to tell me what the hell you're, you're thinking, man. Cause this sounds silly. Like you could just toe dash there and see what's going on. You don't have to like go there physically. And like Eddie's reveal here is that like, look, Calvin Castle wants to sell that lot to someone, but he's looking for the right person. And it's not necessarily about the money. It's just that it doesn't want it to fall into the wrong hands. Right. And with that in mind, you know, basically you could buy it for anything and we wouldn't have to worry about trying to get a hold of Susanna's, you know, inheritance or what have you. We could just go talk to him. And like, this is where we get like more character stuff too, is like, he doesn't believe that Roland would be uh, capable of dealing with those sorts of things in his world. And Jake is too young. 
and fun part, Jake is like, you know, I'd still want to come with you. That sounds like a good time. Right. <laughs> and like we get this uh, almost moment of reverie from everybody in the group that's like, damn, you're right. That is a really good idea. And like even to the point where um, where Roland is like, OK, that's that's genius. And like they say yes to this, knowing full well that they're going to have to like finally interact with this like scary monstrous black orb that is underneath of the church, like almost tainting the area <laughs> that it's sitting in and like has its own will. And like, there's even a concerned moment where they're like, what if it takes you to the wrong place? It's like, well, then it's going to take a while for my postcard to get to you. You know, it's like, right. Then you're real far out there. Um, yeah. and so that's kind of where we leave off with the gang. Now I've powered through a bunch of random stuff. Is there anything I miss, Rachel? You want to double back on? Um, I mean, I just think it's interesting that Eddie has this realization when he does that it's not really about the money. It's a it's not about the how much. It's about the who. Mm-hmm. And I think that much like I was saying, I feel like there is a clarity that is happening for all of them across the board that as they come back into communion with one another and their kef is restored and their tet is restored, that they're and they're back on the path of Ka, these things are coming to them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, that to me feels like evidence that they're doing the right thing and we're seeing it in each of them. I mean, I also think it's interesting that in this entire chapter, we never get to be in Susan's head. You oh, know, yeah, Susanna's right. head. Not once. Um, and I, I feel that feels incredibly intentional on King's part. Like we, even when we're fine, even when we know that she knows now, and we we watch her throwing and we watch how it impacts her. We never get to actually be in her head through it. Um, and I feel like those things may be linked to some mm-hmm. degree um, that we're still not being given access to her head, but we are seeing sort of the results of them kind of them reconnecting. Um, I'm also very excited at the idea, the tease that Eddie may be going face to face with Enrico Balazar again. As- <laughs> yeah, I'd love to kill him twice. That was a right? great line, right? Yes. And it's like some of our favorite sort of action beats from the entire series involve Enrico Balazar. Naked so, fighting. Yes. So a rematch sounds lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, also very excited that we're going to get to figure out if they know how to use Black 13. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing we're gonna we're gonna lead with that next round. Yeah, I think we're this feels like a lot of um place setting still, but also like we're about to really things are about to really heat up. So I'm excited about that. I think sure. that's why I had so much trouble with this chapter specifically, is because You're like it's I wanna like, get to the good shit. It's like <laughs> a cliffhanger. It yeah. like just continues to draw strings out of the cloth and like leave them hanging and you're like, come on, man. Like, give it to me. Give me yeah. the hot action scenes. I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. All right, cool. So overall, what did you think of this chapter? You know, uh, I-, I wish if we had taken a-, a hiatus and actually planned it appropriately that we would have like left the next chapter as yeah. the thing. <laughs> to and, return to. And, like, yeah. Paused on the cliffhanger. But, uh-huh. you know, it's really nice to get back into this again with you. And like, yeah. uh, this is a bunch of good information that we definitely needed to see the gang move forward um yeah overall happy with it um but more happy to be back with rachel on the podcast oh i feel the same way <laughs> what yeah. about you How, how'd you feel about this chapter 
yeah, this, I mean, this, this chapter felt a little bit like treading water to some degree. Like there are some good character stuff, which I always really like. Anytime we get into role in psychology, that is an interesting sort of dense text for me. I love that. Um, and I like where it's headed. I feel like we're set up for a lot of really cool things. Like all of the ticking clocks feel like they're, we're getting close to those going off. Um, I like how the creepier moments of this, like really setting up the tension around Andy and Benny Flightman, the elder. Um, and then of course that they're about to go to New York, all of that kind of stuff seems mm-hmm. really exciting. So yeah, I had a good time with this and I'm just so delighted to be back, back in Midworld, back on the show, back with you. Woo! Hopefully people are still out there and, and ready to continue on their journey with us because I am ready. <laughs> all right. So Speaking of continuing on the journey for us, for those of you at home, for the next section, we're going to be covering Part 3, The Wolves, Chapter 2, The Dogen, Part 1, Sections 1 through 8. It's a long chapter, apparently, so we're going to break it up into two because we like to get really granular with this. Um, And also, ADHD is a hell of a drug. My memory (laughs) banks are only uh, so big, so I can't always hold an entire... same, same. And I we both listen to the chapter multiple times. So when they're really long, I feel like we do a better job of just breaking it up in this way. So everybody, that's what we'll be covering. Make sure that you've got that read for the next episode. Now, we've been gone a long time, yeah. Rachel. Is there any Stephen King news that we have missed out on during this time? Because I feel like there's like some releases and some shows and a bunch of other stuff. Well, I mean, I so like the biggest thing that's happening, I mean, Uh, on dark tower news obviously is still the mike flanagan of it all right um while we were gone there was also a massive writers and actor strike so it's probably less news than you would normally get but he has updated his next project is another stephen king one it's from the it's one of the short stories the casting is out hold on i'll tell you which one it is next film is going to be based on the life of chuck which is a short film um from if it bleeds, like it's another one, it's a novella from that. I think if it bleeds has like four stories in it. Um, I read some of them, like I read the Holly Gibney one. Uh, Life of Chuck is one that's like I didn't finish that one. I uh, yeah, I'm not, I had to like quickly Google it to see what yeah. the heck Life of Chuck was. So uh, I'm in the same boat. Um, but there are a lot of like his usual suspects that are going to be in it, like all of his favorite actors. He's announced the cast. The cast is enormous. And it's like a lot of people who have been in like all of his Netflix specials and his films. And it looks like it's going to be great. And I remember it being very poignant and like about like existential crisis. And and that's perfect for Mike Flanagan. Um, he did give a minor update about the Dark Tower. He basically hasn't been able to talk about it because of the strikes, but he says that they're in a really, now that he can finally talk again, he was on an episode of Fangoria's Kingcast talking mm-hmm. about it. And he said that, you know, they were pretty frozen for a while because of the strikes, but now they're making quote unquote enormous progress with it. And it's going to be his number one priority now that they're on the other side of the strike is developing that. He says that they have partners that he can't talk about yet, which sounds to me like I know like last time we left off, he had the rice that he had gotten from Stephen King himself, but he didn't necessarily have a home for it. And he had left Netflix and he now was like, creating deals with Amazon. We know Amazon at one point was going to do the, the wizard and glass adaptation. Yep. So 
Don't know if that is, this is all circumstantial evidence, but that feels like it could be a home for it. Um, he said that they have some potentially groundbreaking approaches to the filmmaking that they can't talk about yet. Um, but he can say that, you know, he had fears that they were going to lose momentum on it during the strike, but he's not worried about it anymore. Like the momentum continued and he says that they're in a quote healthy place. Um, and that as soon as the strikes end, he's going to immediately deploy something. So last week, the strike came to a tentative end, mm -hmm. which means I'm guessing we're going to get new details about this soon. But that's that's the latest on the Dark Tower adaptation um, mm. front, which I am very, very excited about. I don't know if you watched House of Usher, but I really enjoyed that. I just I love everything he does, and I feel like he's so passionate about this. I think it's going to be really cool. Yeah. How about you? How are you feeling about that news? I mean, you know, we were really excited to two previous times. I know, once I for know, a full I actual know, release <laughs> and one for some like behind the scenes pictures of what we thought yeah. was coming and like neither one of those have materialized so as with many of these uh dark tower adaptations like i'll believe it when i see it although honestly i yeah. would have never expected um asimov's <laughs> stuff to get converted into a television series so you know stranger things have happened yeah, that's true. I feel like if anybody can get it done, though, I feel like it's Flanagan because I feel like, I mean, he has the blessing of King himself. He's done a ton of adaptations that have been really successful. He, like, has a lot of buzz and a lot of pull. I don't know. I feel like I feel like we might get it. I really do. I'm keeping, keeping hope alive, positivity over here. Yeah, definitely. All right. So... Um, I don't have any Stephen King connect universe connections in this chapter, and I don't have a question for this episode because we're just getting back up and running. So stay tuned to the Facebook group in the coming weeks because there will be one for the next episode. Woo. Yeah. So that is it for us for this time, unless people are sticking around for the extended episode. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You have some thoughts, some questions, some concerns. Do you have a question you'd like, a discussion question you'd like to suggest? Um, you know, how are you feeling about the adaptation? Did we miss something in this chapter that we should have seen? Anything. You can always drop us a line at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. You can come chat with us over on the Cast of Caw Facebook group. You can slide into the DMs at ZG Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Threads. Soon to be Blue Sky. We got like the little invite. <laughs> so we just got to set it up. Um, if you are a horror fan and you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight, you should check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com where I keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on all of the streaming services of which there was a new one announced this week. There's Tell another me. streaming service? Tell me. Yes, there's a new one. Cheese <laughs> and rice, man. I know. Like I It's know. so annoying when you're like, oh, which one is that? Uh, oh, it's on Paramount Plus. Like, oh, my God. Are you are we just back to cable again? Should yes. I just like get yes. a cable package with HBO? Yes. yes. Or a Max <laughs> now? Oh, Essentially. Like, uh, I mean, it's, we're in the, yeah, like I feel like it's a cycle of piracy and um, like chain business models changing. And then it like goes back eventually to the old business model in a new form and well, piracy is going to kick off again. You know, like it's, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. This is a stupid side rant, but it's like Netflix <laughs> realizes that they can make more money on commercials in their yep. service than than they could ever in their like regular revenue stream so they're pushing all of the people down towards that 
yep. so that they can make commercial money. And it's yep. like, Monster Trucker, we figured this out with TV. <laughs> you're <laughs> supposed know, to be right? the new fixed company. The where innovation. Like, yeah, you're, you're like, oh, hey, I got this great idea. Let's do what the dinosaurs did 20 years ago. Like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so angry. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you have some thoughts about that at home. Drop us a line at mm-hmm. castlecallzombiegirls.com. <laughs> um, and then if you want to support us, there's a couple of great ways you can do that. You can buy our awesome merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. Or you can join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls where you get extended episodes, bonus episodes, um, our deep and and profound gratitude. And, of course, you get to join the Discord, which to me is always the best perk because, like – you know, all of the episodes are extended and there are bonus ones, but literally the Discord is popping every single day. We're all hanging out in there posting pictures of food yep. and cats and dogs and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and movies and like, you know, there's not enough cat there's not enough Dark Tower discussion happening on there. So get in there if you're not already in there. It's a good time. All right. So that is it for us, unless you're sticking around. DJ, where else can people find you on the internet if they um, need more DJ you know, in their life? As, uh, as I get older, I disappear from more and more of the internet. So you can find yeah. me on this podcast. Um, if you're really into uh, g- Google reviews, you can like look for One Lone Dork and you'll find nine or ten million views of photos from around the world. Um, you can also swing over to whatever uh, outpost unknown is. <laughs> and see me dinking around on there occasionally. Uh, Rachel, what about you? Well, I'm going to start by going back to Outpost on Gnome, which is our YouTube channel or our like the our little side project YouTube channel with some of our friends who were formerly of the Splattercast. There is a new short film on there that you should check out. It's called Orlock. It is our attempt at a puppet film. And I actually think it turned out pretty great. Very proud of it. Oh, yeah, we did I forgot it. I worked on that. Yeah, you worked on it. You you filmed it. You partially directed it. Don't tell Matthew I said that. <laughs> um, you did all of the post uh, special effects and you edited it. So yeah, you worked on it a little tiny bit. I basically was the, what is it, script supervisor. And I came up with like one of the shot ideas. And I also was the intimacy coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's great. So go check out Orlock on Outpost Unknown. Um, you may not be the last time you see Warlock up to his blood drinking shenanigans. Are you telling me that there may be plans to shoot more puppet movies? Maybe. <laughs> so yeah, check that out. You can also find me on all of the podcasts across the Zombie Girls Podcast Network, More Deadly, Stream Queens, all that stuff. And occasionally, when I'm lucky, I show up on Bloody Good Horror, a horror podcast that if you're a horror fan, you probably know about. Um, myself, Ariel, and Matilda kind of trade off um, guest spots over there. This week, actually, Matilda was on, and they were talking about... Oh, Totally Killer, which is a super fun uh, slasher comedy. And uh, occasionally I will pop up on Trick or Treat Radio, which is one of my very favorite things to do because those guys are amazing. And finally, most recently, another guest spot I did was on uh, Films at First Sight with Joe and Graham, where we talked about the 1960s film The Swimmer, which is wild. We have an awesome conversation. Those guys are brilliant. And it was so much fun being on that show and talking about that movie. 
may have had a few too many whiskeys, but um, still a great conversation. So check out Films at First Sight, Bloody Good Horror, Outpost Unknown, and of course, all of the Zombie Girls shows. All right. Woo! That's a mouthful. <laughs> so that is it for us. DJ, take us out. Well, folks, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Casica, where we explore fields and look for that long-necked goose who is oh, honking God. in the distance. No! no. <laughs> One little spit, and we're all out of here. No! <laughs> Wipe that visual from your mind. I can't. It's in there forever now. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ. So have you, you're talking about 1960s, 1970s. Have you, you ever watched uh, Grey Gardens? I've never seen it its entirety, but I'm very familiar with it as like a cultural thing. Yeah. You know, I like I was watching some mockumentary with like the dude from Portlandia. Oh, yes. Yes. I've seen that. I actually the documentary now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize that it was uh, it was like a spoof of. Yeah. Of Grey Gardens. And then like I was researching Grey Gardens and it's like a legit like yeah. these rich people who just like moved out to the country and like yeah did weird stuff in a farmhouse it's like yeah um, Edie and i can't remember the other the other one's name yeah i'm gonna I'm, like it's free on youtube and hd check it so, out like, i might have to go watch that and see what well you know about. all of those documentary now things are parodies of real oh really it's like yeah i didn't know that it like best yep. in show is like a parody of some other documentary or uh best in show is something separate that's oh, okay, like okay. that's a that's some i guess uh, i was doc- just kind of linking those together in my mind i mean because they're both of the yeah documentary situation no but like they actually take inspiration from real documentaries all mm. of them yeah I, I actually love documentary now i love yeah and that one's really really funny it's because it's david hater and then the other guy, what is his name from SNL? Oh, um, yeah, the, the serious face guy that was always like, hmm. Yes, I love him. I like I keep almost getting him in junkets and then like it doesn't work. Like he didn't he wasn't in the Wednesday junket and he wasn't in the um, Los Spookies junket. I was like, damn it, someday I will interview him. But I have not yet. Oh, I didn't realize documentary now is like a uh a four season it's, television series. I've yeah. just seen like one or two pops of it. Oh, no, no, no. It's like a, yeah, it's a series. It's a series on like IFC, I think. Yeah, mm. it's really good. It's super, super good. Okay. Uh, that's a rabbit hole I might have to explore. Yeah, they're funny. I would highly recommend it. The Great Gardens one is really good. I'm trying to think of the other ones that I saw that were really, the, the like, there's one that's like a, Oh, whatever you'll see you'll no, watch my it. monkey grifter <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun to like go and see which documentaries they're inspired by yeah that that gray one i'd like never really even heard of it and I, oh yeah i was like oh, i mean okay. it's so camp i think they're like related to the kennedys yes yes and mm-hmm. they were like they're very rich but chose yeah. to just do some like really weird shit instead yeah and like they're just like in a house that's like in disrepair and it's like yeah they're just kooks yeah <laughs> Big Edie and what little was Edie, other? right? Big and I guess maybe it is big and little Edie. <laughs> yeah. That shit is wild. Huh. So DJ, what the heck should we talk about on this extended episode? Oh well, uh, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about our uh, our previous adventures together in the last yeah. couple of months we've been gone. 